committee, I welcome you with open arms. Is that so? How late do you stay open? You don't understand. I could have had class. I could have been a contender. I could have been somebody. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers? I want the truth. You can't handle the truth. I hope they are watching. They'll see. They'll see and they'll know. And they'll say, why she wouldn't even harm a fly. What's up, everybody? You're listening to NoCo Cinema on WGM+. We are your guide to cinema here in the city of Chicago. I am Tom Hush, and we've got a very, very special episode for you today. This weekend, we were so graciously invited to run a Q&A for our friends over at Soft Cage Films at a screening of their film, Graffito. Now, this was a particularly special screening because the film was accompanied by a live jazz quartet performing the score. And that jazz quartet was led by John Sutton, the composer of the score for Graffito. As it would have it, he's also the co-writer writer of the film along with his fellow co-writer Heather Mingo. We had an excellent conversation about the uh, process of writing graffito and also some of the ideas behind it both political and social. And also with John, we talked a little bit about the score and the importance of the score to the film and how it came about. So it's a very great conversation. Uh, We really enjoyed doing it. And a big thank you to the folks over at Soft Cage Films. You can find more information on Soft Cage and some of their other projects if you head on over to softcagefilms.com or follow them on social media at softcagefilms. Without further ado, here's our conversation with Heather Mingo and John Sutton live at Elastic Arts at 3429 West Diversity Avenue here in Chicago. We're so honored to be asked to be here by uh, Dave Holcomb, who was one of our earliest guests on the show yep. way back in, uh, what, 2016? 2016? He was on our third episode. Yeah, ever. very third episode. So, uh, And funny enough, this was one of the films that we were talking about was uh, Graffito, and uh, he directed it, but we didn't get the chance to talk to some of the other people involved. Um, Right now, we are joined by Heather Mingo and also John Sutton. A little round of applause, everybody. Uh, they are both co-writers on the film, and also John did the fantastic score, which we will be hearing a little bit later tonight to the film. So welcome, both of you. Thanks. Thanks for having us. So let's start with both of you, just your backgrounds in uh, film. Heather, how did you get into making films? Sure. Um, Well, I have an acting background, and that's actually how I met Dave. We were on a super shitty commercial together, (laughs) and we realized that we hated everybody there. And so we we stuck together. Uh, I think we met maybe 12 years ago. And uh, then I moved to New York for a little while, came back, and was kind of unhappy with the roles I was being put up for. And so John suggested that I start writing. And so I wrote some stuff for myself, and then I wasn't super happy with the way it was being produced, so I started producing. And uh, then we met up with Dave, who had, at that time, already started Soft Cage Films. And uh, he bandied us for Graffito. Yeah, my, I, I'm a longtime film nerd, short time film, you know, actual, you know, producer of it, but um, got into it because uh, um, I wanted to do this comedy series called Bass Solo. Um, Heather co produced, and we were doing that together, and that's just supposed to be a comedy show about um, how how stupid it is to you know decide to be a professional musician <laughs> and um and and it was more cathartic than anything but like it was a comedy show and dave was actually an extra on that show as well and so uh 
And so I think it was that experience where it kind of like he had been writing horror, like the first film that, the first feature length film that Soft Cage produced uh, was called Yellow and uh, was a horror film, um, kind of like in the Jello style. And, um, and then he kind of like approached us as like, I want to, I want to work on something that's not horror, but that's also like, you know, that maybe has kind of this tone that you guys are catching with like something kind of funnier or something, you know, more satirical. And so that was kind of the launching pad for how Graffito was born. When you guys initially started talking about what would become Graffito, what is it about satire that excites you? And what is it about satire that you feel gives you the space to kind of like approach certain subject matters in different ways? Uh, I guess like when, well, so we started the graffito process by just like making dinner together, like, like basically like Heather and I and, and, and Dave and and his wife, Michelle would like make dinner together and then just watch like usually like a couple like French new wave films. We knew we liked that in common. We thought that was a good launching pad for something like brash and, you know, and, and, uh, and and different and uh, ambitious. And we didn't want to do a genre film exactly, but we want to do something else. So like, so in terms of how like the satire approach, um, uh, I think came about was like I don't know I feel like personally a lot of what came into the writing for me was it, like we were in the Obama era at that point and I, was, I felt like this uh, conflict of like of like how do you protest when the the like authorities kind of like are the closest you're going to get right now to like in other words like protesting the authorities in place put you in an uncomfortable position of siding with people who maybe don't um don't hold your political views or who have, who are not good at, or like who are bad actors in the thing. So like sure. the satire of, of the launching pad for a lot of the political stuff that happens in graffito is like, what if someone who's spouting things that you kind of agree with also sounds kind of wrong or like sounds ill, like you're, you're like, you don't dislike graffito. Not that I'm t- dis- deciding everybody's more, you know, like <laughs> yeah. political, but like, I don't personally dislike what graffito says, but it's also like objectively wrong and kind of dumb. So like, so th- I like that kind of, that was like a, uh, a bed of the satire. And obviously you mentioned the French new wave getting into that sort of thing. Graffito is very much drenched in that style, in that sort of uh, loose, jazzy filmmaking and score as well. Um, I want to, and you're wearing a shirt right now that is a direct (laughs) reference to Breathless, uh, pretty much considered one of the hallmarks of the French new wave. So what is it about that style of filmmaking that you thought was uh, conducive to this particular story? Okay. Um, I think like I think that it really was just that we we didn't exactly want to do a genre film, but we wanted to do something that was just like wild and playful and fun, and we just loved that they were so able to capture lightning in a bottle. And some of those movies, you know, in like Breathless and and ninety nine thirty nine blows, the, the four hundred blows, four hundred yeah. blows. You really undercut it. Yeah, <laughs> way more blows. Than I saw the shorter version. <laughs> <laughs> so, but we just loved the the lightning in the bottle effect of it. They're just like, and we just felt like we had I, we had a ton of ideas. And I do think that that is one of the most effective things about graffito is like, is that it just like it's you just get this sense of like playful, youthful, maybe even naive um, mm-hmm. ideas being thrown at the screen like over and over again, and it kind of. Yeah. 
When it, and, and when it comes to that, one of the recurring things that Connor and I thought was great about the movie was the inclusion of the crew yeah. into many different kind of comedic scenarios. You see, uh, I, my favorite character in the movie is the boom operator. Uh, it was I thought that was also really, played by John. Really? Well, you you did a great job. Uh, I think there's a bit where you're like got the boom in your hand and cigarette hanging out of your mouth, and I thought that I thought that was really great. Uh, there's a scene with uh, the character with the two martinis, literally handing off a yes. martini. To, to you, to me. Yeah. So you're the stars of the film as well uh, as the crew. But um, was that your decision in the script to have that happening, or where did that decision come along? Yeah, I think we had we decided that along like early early in the process. We really wanted that fourth wall broken, um, and we just thought that it amplified all the, all the fun that's yeah. happening on set for sure. Yeah, I also, I just think also like you know Graffito has all these ideas about workers, and we also wanted to like make it clear to everybody that there there are people working like around him as he's saying this kind of right. like ridiculous you know like zero like the uh, the zero labor uh, manifesto right. these sorts of things like you know is like it's it, while he's got this this soapbox to speak like there are people who are actually like working yeah and just like yeah. <laughs> you know, it, there's like an irony there that we were trying to poke fun at it does seem as though there is a very particular type of logan square person that you see walking around that you guys were trying to kind of show in a, in a certain light and i mean like you're he's going around drinking wine that he keeps like holstered in his overcoat and he's shitting all over the people that are drink that are like looking at their phones at shows and then meanwhile spouting all of these often honestly great little non sequiturs but he himself doesn't do very much in the movie does he no um I mean, yeah, we were trying to capture Logan Square in a lot of different ways, like, and we wanted to capture someone with a chip on their shoulder. And again, like, I think we, we really don't want anybody to trust him as a main character. Like, a lot of this movie was us trying to, like, just give you a main character that you're like, okay, cool, and then, like, ugh, like, uh, I don't know. Like, and you, I think, like, a lot of this movies, we don't know who to trust um, <laughs> as we're navigating our way through it. Um, Dave, you know, Dave's also snarky and... You know, no, no way. In, there's all this infighting in the movie, you know, it, so you can't trust anybody. I mean, was there any difficulty trying to write a character that is largely dislikable? You know, I, and he's fun to watch, which is what ultimately you want, is you want a character that is interesting and uh, can move the movie forward. But he's someone you don't like, generally. He's the kind of guy that you see on the street and are just like, uh, don't. But there is don't something talk. lovable about him. Sort I mean, of, yeah. I, I feel like we did have love for Graffito. I think, yeah, yeah in, in all the characters that we've ever written, I think that it's really important that you show love to your characters sure. as as you're writing them because like why would why would anyone else care about them otherwise right. but um yeah i think i think there were certainly some difficulties in in writing for him um as far as like making sure that likability came through in any kind of way um mm -hmm. just so you didn't want him dead immediately <laughs> <laughs> well he comes up so many other uh, up against so many other characters that are also somewhat like dislikable but also they're just people you might meet on the street mm -hmm. what were you what were you uh drawing your inspiration from just being around places like logan square and seeing folks like this or do you have any specific people that you had said yeah i want to portray this person Man. I, I think that a lot of the stories of the characters that they met i, I know that we were really like we were really inspired by uh, the Odyssey uh, as yeah. he walked through it. So there were a lot of people who were kind of uh, 
symbolizing characters throughout the Odyssey. But uh, some of the stories that actually got told throughout, they were kind of kind of based on things that actually happened. Like the character with the martinis uh, uh, talking about the, the gum commercial and the unions and such. Like that was something that actually happened to the actor who played Graffito. Really? <laughs> so, yeah, so we kind of like took that and molded it in... Uh, into into something that was a little a little more lyrical and fitting for the for the piece, but yeah, a lot of it was was based on things that really happened. And at the heart of the film, I mean, what you're watching is you're watching Graffito going around. He's putting graffiti up everywhere, as his name would suggest. And while he is sort of this vigilante that maybe not the one that Logan Square needs, but the one that he deserves a little bit, what is the at the heart of the film? There does seem to be some sort of, albeit lighthearted, but there does seem to be some sort of a statement about art. Would you guys care to expand on that or? Great statement about art. Okay. Yeah, come on. Please. No pressure. <laughs> say something smart. Say something smart. Um, yeah, I think I think that's exactly right. I think uh, he, again, just like his political views are maybe kind of like mealy mouthed and not quite there. You kind of like the idea, but he's that insufferable, insufferable guy talking at the party, and you, you know <laughs> you're stuck in the corner listening to it, and oh my god. But also, like the the graffiti itself is also sort of vapid for the most part. I mean, we had a real graffiti artist do a lot of the work, and and um, they do um, great job, and you know, in some ways, uh, ran the risk of getting caught while working on our film. Which was um, so got to work kind of like under the shadow. So that was that that work is real, but like in terms of a political statement and some of the political like verbiage that gets used in the art is vapid. And I th- and and I think um, ultimately like the statement it's it's not so much um, I think the large the the strongest statement about art is is Graffito actually stealing the camera. Um, sorry for those of you who haven't seen the movie, but but the the theft of the camera is probably like the strongest statement about art itself. Um, about and and that line is blurred between whether that's the the actor or the character stealing it, but like um, the the vast style changes. And really, we just like let Antonio go with the camera and be like, and and it was probably his first time holding like a you know like um I don't know uh, like a an actual camera camera <laughs> and so he was it's it's all those like naive great things about that i love that sequence because it's just him being like oh you can zoom and you can like turn it and like <laughs> he's just doing and it's so playful and it's so it's so like refreshing i think um the color saturation at that point and everything is i don't know i like it i think it's i think that's the nicest well, part of the film <laughs> what tom and i were watching it we just kept saying how we actually haven't you do reference this movie yellow but like we said earlier when we first met david we talked a little bit about that chiefly about graffito but we do love the amount of self reference in the movie to you guys um and we really did get the feeling that there was something we were watching we were watching not only we were watching the movie get made and so we do kind of want to turn a little bit and talk about that obviously you have this event going on you're going to be scoring it live with a jazz quartet here which you will be performing as well john and uh, we just wanted to talk a little bit about the interplay between the music that and the role that it plays in the film almost as a character and uh because you scored the film as well and how you wanted to enter your play around with that, I suppose, and how that maybe affected the writing process. Well, the, the, the fact that you're actually like feeling the writing process happening while the film is being shot is actually true. Like we, um, (laughs) we, we wrote the first act of it. Like I think up through the murder, Oh, I'm spoiling everything. (laughs) Everyone just go on. (laughs) Early on in the movie, some, there's an incident. (laughs) And uh, and so um, 
and so I think like we had we had kind of gotten that far, and and we sent it off to Dave like. Okay, we have we have like the first act done, and then we have like a rough idea about where it's going in the second act, and then like we thought that that meant like he was going to be like here's some notes and keep writing and like good job, and instead he was like cool, I have dates scheduled to start shooting, and we're like we're and like we're gonna we're gonna shoot some stuff from the third act right now because it'll mirror, the, and we're like whoa whoa whoa, and it was like a runaway train, and that was great because um, then we were writing to kind of keep up catch up with things. I mean we were like, and so I think a lot of that energy in the movie is is very real. So. Um, the music is kind of like part um, genre style. Like I wanted, I didn't want to do like exactly French New Wave, but it is supposed to feel like jazz as a as a genre, right? Um, you know, like 1960. But it's also like very. I really wanted to capture like what Chicago. I think a lot of Chicago uh, jazz sounds like like musicians that are playing tonight. Musicians that uh, most of them played on the record as well or on the original recording, and you know, they're uh, people who. Um, Embrace and embody a lot of the spirit of like the creative music scene in Chicago, which is robust and and uh, very alive. And, yeah, and and alive. So it was more like I don't want it to be a throwback. I want it to represent us now, here and uh, and Logan Square right now. You know where we're at. Out of curiosity, Heather, did you have any input as to where the soundtrack was going to go or how it was going to be placed in the movie? Oh, I had nothing to do with nothing? that. <laughs> no. Are you, are, do you like the soundtrack? I'm oh, I love it. I love it. it. Yeah, I mean, John's what a, brilliant. What Matthew uh, she yeah, said no. No, of course I love it. Um, yeah, he writes the catchiest, the catchiest shit around. <laughs> um, but yeah, that, that was all, all his brainchild for sure. Did you envision a, a jazz soundtrack when you mm-hmm. were in the process? Absolutely, of yeah. Were there like specific you know, jazz inspirations or, or films using jazz that you wanted to say, yeah, this is what we want to do for Graffito? No, I, not for me, especially. I mean, again, we were uh, really inspired by just watching a ton of French New Wave. And so just just listening to uh, the feel of those kinds of soundtracks, I think that hearkening that kind of thing is is where where I was thinking. Totally. I think the only thing outside of the French, of the New Wave was... Um, this uh, th- there's a movie that Miles Davis scored called Escalator to the Gallows. Yeah, um, and um, so that that's like always a touchstone for me for that stuff. And then I think like just the music of, of Charles Mingus outside of film that that's like. Mm-hmm. But there's also a, a whole recording session we did that's that's like electric guitars and like double drum sets and mm-hmm. um, you know and so and th- that's also supposed to be like a break from like we want to acknowledge that we're not like pretending that this is some fantasy world we're not like dressing up and being like oh we swing dance you know we're like you know (laughs) did you also score there's a there's a like a rock show that they go to midpoint in the movie did you do you did the music for that no that's the real that's a real band called the pirates yeah very nice the guy who's the uh the the pitcher in, uh, yes. in some scenes, um, okay, he's in that band. I want to ask about the picture <laughs> yeah. because again, with the it's the same thing with the boom operator that shows up a lot uh, yourself um, yeah. with the with the picture. I, I'm always reticent to look for too much meaning in symbols in movies because then you just like go down a rabbit hole and be like, what does maybe this is a commentary on, you know, the, on the, the Black Sox controversy. On the bastardization of the American dream in yeah. the lens of an American uninformed idealist. Yeah. So wh- where did the idea <laughs> where did the idea for the for the baseball pitcher come from? I think that was a Dave. Dave, was that a you thing? Yeah. You want to talk? Was, was that a you thing, Dave? <laughs> okay. That was a Dave thing. Dave forced that upon us. I think I think he actually just took Andrew out to do that. I don't think we were even there on set. <laughs> um, the magic of the baseball of the pitcher is the audio, um, yeah. which was captured by Dave and his son Teddy at a, and which you can. He wasn't born yet. 
<laughs> oh yeah, there was there no was son. no Teddy. There is no Teddy. No, there is. Well, a there is a Teddy. <laughs> he just wasn't there yet. I can't do math. Okay, never mind. Dave was at a baseball game with no child, <laughs> and freak, and like. <laughs> Like a pervert, and brought a, <laughs> and um, and brought like a. This is the director of the film we're talking. I have about. the microphone right yeah. now, <laughs> and uh, and and had a you know Zoom ca- uh, handheld recorder, and was just recording some plays, and they match up like he had already shot the the video of uh, of the, the the pitcher, and it all just like lined up. So so the, it's like those kinds of like magical moments with it, where like we, we like lay these in and be like, whoa, it's like exactly exactly what happens. Time the timing works out so well in those. Um, yeah, I, I like I I do want to without like giving you any answers about what the pitcher means or anything. I'll say that like we were like. I do think that like a lot of what's fun about this movie is like it's um there's some stuff that we did just because it's like like we said that thing is like shot that and then recorded some audio and oh my gosh they line up and how cool is that and it just seems kind of like bass and kind of lowbrow and then also like oh yeah we accident or not we like reference the odyssey and like crime and punishment and like we're trying to it's like both it's like we're you know we're we're laughing at ourselves for for referencing the odyssey just as much as we're like holding up these Symbols that may mean nothing and of like course. are there for you to play with. You know? <laughs> you know? So before we get into talking more about the actual event that we're here to uh, support and everything, I did just want to ask a couple more questions about the writing process of the film. When we, when at least when I imagine what people are doing when they're writing television or movies, they're sitting in the white room with the sticky notes and the whiteboard up. But as anybody that knows people that are involved in independent film, it's not often how it works. You know, people are working on their own time in between jobs and everything. What was, uh, like, about how long was the writing process and how was it working with one another? Yeah, um, we worked together really well. And we've, we've written um, six projects together. This was the third of which. Um, yeah, and I think our process really starts with us just sort of riffing on, on things and then just kind of writing down things that, that resonate with both of us. And... Um, yeah, usually it just starts with a Google Doc. It's, we don't have like the sticky notes or anything like that. Um, Technology. Yeah. Um, so he, yeah, like I tend to to focus more on like the the flowery language and the dialogue and things like that. And John's very, uh, very good with the thematics and like story structure. And so I think that we we complement each other well in that regard. So it was just like I would I would just kind of like go off on these little tangents, and I'm like, oh, that sounds so pretty. When <laughs> and John's just like, oh, okay, rain it in. <laughs> Yeah, so it's kind of like that. Yeah. Um, I think the only other thing I want to say about it is that, uh, I mean, yeah, like this, this film was like built for us to subvert a writing, a writing process while we were doing it. Like we just like, there were times that we were like writing things while we're headed to the, to the scene that we were shooting um, or things that were like rewrites that were like, I mean, the ink is, you know, essentially wet while we're like, and like, you know, characters are like memorizing things on set and, you know, like a lot of it was just supposed to be, it was supposed to give us this like energy to, mm-hmm. to propel us into something we hadn't considered or weren't, hadn't fully considered uh, to get a different outcome. I think one of the other things I found really interesting on my most recent rewatch of this was the way that uh, the character of Graffito interacts with the different female characters mm-hmm. throughout the movie. Um, there is a obvious appreciation he has for them, but also contempt that uh, results in some pretty, you know, uh, violent things yep. in more in more ways than one. Really, I think um, it was a very interesting look at how someone 
who touts himself as very progressive, very forward-thinking, might still hold these old patriarchal attitudes deep down, even if they don't want to admit it. So when writing these female characters and how they interact with Graffito, was there any uh, difficulty in that, or was there any uh, specific outcomes you wanted with those characters? Well, I'll, I'll probably let you speak about it because I'm sure you have something to say about it. But the first thing I just want to say is, like, it was very deliberate that we wanted him to, like, uh, as I said, this was written at a time that, like, I wasn't, I was thinking about how unclear it was to move forward with sort of progressive ideas in, in sort of that, like, middle Obama, like, second Obama term where we were just sort of, like, how do you protest? There's so many things wrong systemically, and how do you protest when, like, um, you know, and I, you know, but I think we, we understand where I'm headed with that. Um, the reason I bring that up is to say uh, that I think it's set up so that you get the idea that he's a high-minded idealist, and then there's a violent episode with a woman, and so right away, again, this like lead, this is a character thing more than a political statement. This is about like you're now in his psyche trying to like unpack it, um, and in ways that maybe he's not. Or well, I guess the whole second act of the thing is maybe him trying to unpack that. I mean, the like right. dreamy, delusional stuff. Um, I think is is him really like panicking about what just happened. Um, uh, and the only other thing I want to say about this is like we intentionally wrote in a manic pixie dream girl like like uh that is very deliberate um is it supposed to feel like thrown in it's it's supposed to feel like he's created uh he's either manifested this character or yeah idealized and manifested this character or that he's an opportunist who's using a person and has no real interest in finding out more about them for the sake of essentially hiding from the police. Right. You know, like, <laughs> yeah. So like, uh, he's got to get off the streets. So. Yeah. And so this is something he has magically sort of swept himself up in, um, in order to get a very selfish, uh, uh, end, you know, um, yeah, and for sure there were things that were based on real life. At the time, I had a really awful job where I was working in sales and marketing with, in a real boys' club, and so I, I played that role um, of the of the drunk business lady. Uh, so uh, that a lot of that was stuff I probably really said. <laughs> well, and it, and it comes that way. It really. Yeah. She. I think it's fitting that in that episode in that part of the film that graffito is essentially eviscerated is emasculated by a woman just just pins him for the audience Mm -hmm. says this is the type of person you are and it really freaks him out he just has to like run away and i do think it's it's interesting that the camera stays on her as he kind of backs away to avoid any sort of criticism yeah absolutely and it's moments like that where you really see the difference between, like you guys said, and I was actually just reading that in here in the uh, little uh, insert for the official film soundtrack, which you guys can actually pick up if you want, which I highly recommend. In something that you note, John, you wrote a little blurb about it, is the irreverence and the craft, the, com- the combination of the two that ends up making what graffito is. Yeah. And I wanted to talk a little bit about, in the writing process, you know, like, how do you guys write irreverence? Because I think it could probably very easily come across as being a little strict, maybe, or a little uptight. So was there a decent amount of improvisation that was in it? I mean, there are obviously moments of 
beautiful flowery writing and don't mean that in a bad way and the and even in the score as well so is there when you wrote the score was there room for improvisation you talk about how it was a little bit of skeletal framework for the music and so i'm for a, mu- a music or sorry, for a movie that is just about the music and about the characters mm-hmm. what how did you guys strike a balance with that that's a great question. The, the score, I mean, like, the reason I left so much of the banter in the, in the, um, recording session in, um, in the final album is just because, like, in the same way that the actors, um, the actors are characters and the, and the crew is characters, uh, in the movie, in the same way the, the personalities of the musicians are, like, integral to the music working. And I, I mean, I chose these guys as much as, just as much for their musical skill as for the personalities that they bring. And there's like so much of that in the, in the soundtrack that you can hear, um, which I think everyone here gets a download of, uh, like yes. That. All right. Everyone, everybody here gets a download of for being here. Check, Check under, under your seats. seats. Yeah. Check under the seats. So, yeah. And you, yeah, yeah. And you get a graffito and you get a graffito. And so the, the, what I want to say about it is just that like, uh, so much of this was, uh, bare bones themes and ideas. And then like, and, oh, and there's even a part actually in the, uh, on the album where I say, um, I say, man, I uh, I was going to explain this, like what you just played. I was going to explain that I wanted that, but I thought that it would be too complicated to explain. And they just did it. And they just did it, like just like intuited it. So, yeah. so. Well, we are getting a little bit of our wrap-up call here, so just a yeah. couple questions left. Um, <laughs> when it, This movie was made in 2014, mm-hmm. or released in 2014. Obviously, we're quite a ways away from there. And there's a lot of political content in this, whether it's, you know, engaging deeply or even just showing it and giving you the ideas. How much do you think uh, Graffito has commented on now in terms of, you know, you've got the character making fun of protesters, essentially, and saying that they're wasting their time going for pennies. Um, Meanwhile, giving these statements like, uh, it, it was his female companion that says, "We may not get regu- we may not eat regularly, but at least we have culture." Yeah. Uh, how relevant is that in this startling new administration, this startling new political landscape? Uh, well, there's a couple parts to that. Uh, so the first was the uh, the first was him talking about the protesters, right. which is more about graffito than anything, because we get people who are really earnestly trying to change things and he's like scoffing at it but what's he doing instead and we don't really get a clear idea that he's doing more than that um so i think that's more of a character thing than a political thing uh the and then the the uh we may not be eating but at least we have culture is actually a flip of um of a statement uh by the poet carl sandberg Sandberg. yeah thanks um, uh, there was a comment by Carl Sandberg where he said, well, these people, uh, these people don't have culture, but at least they're eating. Mm-hmm. And so this was just like reversing the, flipping that yeah. on its head. Um, as far as how it relates now, clearly the landscape is really different. Clearly our sense of like, our sense of, um, and, but I have to say that if you had asked me that at the beginning of 2017, that that answer would have been very different because we remember like, and I'm, I, I guess now I'm just going to say the only like direct political thing I want to say, but like at the beginning of 2017, there were, um, there were attempts at, uh, travel bans and people showed up in droves to airports to protest. And, uh, there was a women's March, uh, in like January 
as far as I remember. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was early on in 2017 that like there were these strong mobilized uh, protests, um, which is very different from the 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 character of Graffito, like the the world that Graffito inhabits, where we're not really sure how to protest, or he's sure that like union politics are a waste of time to him somehow, but he has no other alternative that he's really presenting. Right. But now I think like just in contrast to 2017, even we're like mired in this new thing where everyone's exhausted and flailing at everything. And, and what, and I mean, I ask in real honesty, like, you know, what real mobilized uh, protest do we have? And uh, I think it's maybe really sad that I'm ending on such a downer, but like, well, you know, that's where we're at. Well, so. I like to believe that in, in this day and age, a person like Graffito would have changed a little bit in terms of, you know, he's he had the luxury in 2014 of being removed from the political moment and just saying, all I care about is my art. Things are, you know, things aren't great. There's still, you know, war. There's going on everywhere. The United States still has a significant amount of problems, both internally and externally. But you know, people yeah. felt fairly comfortable in knowing that at least there's someone at the helm that knows what they're doing. Right. And then I, it always makes me wonder if you did if you did Graffito two, if yeah. he's if he's Graffito two maybe yeah Graffito two. <laughs> if, if he's out there with the protesters and finally getting a grip, yeah. I feel like there's a we we reached a moment where a lot of people <laughs> like Graffito have a grip. Um, Heather, do you have any final statements on the film either? No. Let's just get watching. The final yeah, statement. Okay. <laughs> All right. Again, uh, Graffito, directed by the great David Holcomb, uh, written by Heather Mingo and John Sutton, and the score by John Sutton. Thank you both so much. That was great. So wonderful to talk with you. Um, and we have been No Coast Cinema. Uh, we are on WGM Plus. You can find us there. iTunes, Stitcher, anywhere whatever. podcasts are found. Yeah, anywhere podcasts are found. Uh, we don't have any free download cards, uh, unfortunately. So just go ahead and find us. Uh, I am Tom Hush. And I'm Connor Cornelius. And uh, let's get to watching Graffito with a beautiful live score. Well, that's a wrap on the live Q&A with Heather Mingo and John Sutton. Uh, It was really a blast to talk to them, and a huge thank you to Heather and John, as well as David Holcomb, who asked us to do the Q&A, and everybody over at Softcage Films. They put on a great screening, and the live music was spectacular. It really is a special opportunity to see film presented that way, when uh, sometimes we're not thinking so much about the score. Having it performed live can change your thoughts on on how important music can be to a film. Again, if you want to know more about Softcage Films and check out some of their other work, head on over to softcagefilms.com or follow them on social media at Softcage Films and follow us at NoCo Cinema on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all that good stuff. And you can find us every Monday on WGM Plus, iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. This has been NoCo Cinema here on WGM Plus. We are your guide to cinema in the city of Chicago. I'm Tom Hush, and we'll see you all next week. <laughs>